If you have your Bibles or your Bible app or something like that, why don't you click on it, open it, I don't know, tap on it. Do something to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Okay. All right. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22 today in, uh, in the book of Matthew. We've been reading about and actually kind of created a, a subtitle series called uh, Miracles with Meaning. And uh, if you're my PowerPoint person, you might be suddenly panicking, thinking, wait, that's the wrong slide. Well, we, it, which we're still in that series, Miracles with Meaning, because we've got some really neat, specific miracles of Jesus in this portion of Matthew that we're going to uh, lean into and then respond to. But... It's a good time for me to tell you what I haven't told you yet. And that is that we know that Matthew, or we, sh- we can find out that Matthew is writing with an agenda. Not only a meta-agenda for the entirety of his text, but he has little micro-agendas. Now, fortunately, in this passage, uh, the micro-agenda and the big agenda, they match up. And there's a, there's a message that Matthew really wants to communicate in an overarching way to the reader of his text. We know that the book of Matthew, historically, like I don't mean just like 10 years ago, I mean 2,000 years ago, is a, it's a manual for discipleship. So when you read this book, it really does mean follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to live for him and then live like him. Yes. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't just believing in him, it's being like him. We aren't just observers, <laughs> we're followers. We aren't just, being an observer means I can watch football on the television, but then I can eat my Cheetos and beer. But being on the field is a whole other thing, isn't it? Okay? So we're followers of Jesus, not, we're not couch quarterbacks or whatever they call those guys. I don't know. What's that? I don't know. I'll never know, so let's just move on. (laughs) But one of the meta messages in Matthew's text is the authority of Jesus. Authority. Someone say that out loud. I know that you like to have authority, but we don't necessarily like somebody else to have it. So some of you started to bristle up just a little bit when you said authority. I don't feel like it. I'm an American. Don't tread on me. I know. Well, North Americans, I've got news for you. Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. (laughs) I didn't come up with that. Jesus sort of did. So, uh... If we look at this passage that began, this passage began as the Sermon on the Mount closes. Watch this. This is going to be a blast. Well, it's a blast for me if you just love the Bible. So uh, uh, the, if you, as the Sermon on the Mount closes, the, the narrator, Matthew, tells us something. That, and he kind of, he's kind of saying, hint, hint, watch what's coming up next. 728 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Oh, they love to listen to that. Why is that? Because he taught as one who had authority. He, because he taught as one who had authority. authority, not as the teachers of the law. Then, so there's our segue into the next narrative section in the book. And he go, and you flip over a little bit. The, it, the, look how the, the thing closes in uh, chapter nine and verse 8 when the crowd saw this they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such Glory. to man wow so Matthew's trying to tell us something about Jesus now here's a spoiler alert it fits into the meta message because how does the book end Woo-hoo! well if you want to go there real quick it's exciting uh 
I mean, you probably know it. You probably heard it. It's not as quite as famous as John. They don't put this one on the signs at the football games and run around at the halftime and show this verse. But this, but it's it's because it's too long. Uh, but 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 here's the deal. Here's the deal. How does the book end? How does this book about authority? I mean, yeah. How does how does this book about discipleship? How does it end? I don't, think, I don't think you really knew that. I think you're just taking a good guess. Yeah. Okay. Then Jesus came to them and said, all? What? Not to you, my love. That's just at our house. Uh, all authority. She got really excited. Woo! Yeah. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus speaking, not you and me. Okay, has been given to me. Therefore, what? There's what's the woo? What's the axis here? What's the reason? What's the lever? What's the fulcrum? All authority is given to me. Therefore, because of that, do what? Make disciples of all the nations. So discipleship is a direct and the only proper response to the authority of Jesus. Boo, Matthew. Okay, look at that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. What's the response to authority? Obedience. Oh, my goodness. And all the North Americans stomped out. <laughs> so far, just in the... Oh, boy, now i got to turn home. Oh, no, i got my plate smart. So, so far since, in the, just what we've looked at so far, and in, in from the Sermon on the Mount to the, some of the miracles that we have observed Jesus doing, Matthew has shown us the authority of Jesus. This is going to be so good. Um, he has shown, shown us the authority of Jesus. Well, it starts, it starts off with his teaching. Wow, they said, wow, he really teaches us with authority. Uh, and then, he, and then he, Matthew shows us what that authority looks like. Okay, not he's not he's not uh, uh, slamming doors, furrow, furrowing his eyebrows, uh, and spitting as he talks. You know, like really authoritatively. Okay, uh, how does he do it? Well, the first thing he does to demonstrate that authority is to override the tradition of the elders and override the perception of the law in such a way that he tells the leper, "I would be delighted to make you clean." It is my preference to make you well. Puts his hand on him and makes him well. Then says, now go, go prove it, right? So he shows his authority by overriding the curse of leprosy. The, not only the sickness, but the stigmatism. How many are thankful for the authority of Jesus? Basically, even leprosy had to obey Jesus. <laughs> oh, I'm excited because I know where it's going next. Okay, um, uh, and, and then what happened? Then the centurion, a, a, a Gentile, boom, boom, boom. The Gentile comes to him and says, uh, you know, I've got this paralyzed servant at my house. Uh, you, you don't have to come. Just say the word. What's, the, what, what's Matthew trying to wink at? What's the wink there? Authority, right? Just say the word because the centurion says, I myself am a man under authority. And I say do and they do. So if you say do, I expect it will be done. <laughs> And Jesus did, and it was. Yes. Come on. Yes. Pretty exciting stuff. Then, then mildly, Jesus goes to Peter, Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house, and, and uh, there's, remember, her name was Melba, and uh, uh, it's, the, it's the Hebrew for mother-in-law, and, uh, and uh, oh, it's not, but uh, uh, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and, and she's lying there with a the fever. There's, again, no crisis, no crowds, no drama, no spectacular stuff. Jesus is the same in, pu- in private as he is in public. He has the same authority in your house as he does at the Crusades. 
So he goes over there and touches her on the hand. The fever leaves so perfectly as his authority obeyed that she gets up. And now, this don't take this wrong. The fever obeys her. She gets up and serves them. And remember, we're not saying that Jesus said, you know, I'm hungry. I need Melba to get up. I'm going to pray for her. Okay. That, there, was not, there was not an agenda. It was authority. You feel me? Right? Then, then uh, after that, the sun begins to set and people begin to come to him from all around the region, right? And they bring to him, we learned this last week, the scary stuff, right? Many who were demonized, many who were under the power of demons, who were under the burden and affliction of, of, of evil and sick, and those who were sick, were brought to Jesus. And with a word, what's Matthew trying to tell us there? Authority and with a word he cast the demons out. He didn't use silly incantations and magic things and candles and dream catchers and all that kind of stuff. That all of the stuff he simply his approach to those who were to the unclean spirits to these to these demons that afflicted people that no one could help, no one could, could no one no one ever could could drive them out until Jesus showed up and here was his formula: shut up and get out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Authority. This is the authority of Jesus. Wow. And so, uh, have I even read the passage yet? I'll get there. I meant to, but, uh, but, but you'll, we'll get there. But what, what Jesus has, and so far he has exercised authority. Now, when, and this is not authority. Paul says later on in the epistles, he'll say, now God has given me authority not for tearing you down, but for building you up. The authority of Jesus is supposed to have, or it does have, a positive effect. Okay, so we've seen that his authority is exercised, and when it is, it overcomes and transcends our burdens. It confronts and casts out evil. That's what the authority of Jesus does. But here's what else it does. <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowd around him, verse 18, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Did you, how many picked up a little cue right there What Matthew just told us something else? Did you hear the word orders? This is, listen to Matthew. He's telling us something. When Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He said it like that. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The, the, the Jesus you read about in the Bible doesn't always sound like the Jesus that's put on Facebook. <laughs> that one just passes out daisies and rides a unicorn. And <laughs> Matthew wants the reader to know that the same authority applies to the lives of disciples. He's Lord of all or not at all. To follow Jesus is to submit totally and fervently to his authority. Disciples cannot be less obedient than a demon. <laughs> well, those demons, they better do what Jesus says, but I'm going to, you know, negotiate. Because following or being a disciple, this is a key, again, it's a key emphasis in the, the, whole, the whole message of Matthew. This is what it means. So let's take a look at this passage and 
and just see if we can't understand a little bit better and then respond to it well. Can we do that? Number one, the first, the first three verses, uh, Jesus uh, gives, gives a warning. Jesus warns to consider the cost. Everybody say that out loud. Consider the cost. Usually I like to say somebody say it so that you don't feel compelled. I don't want you to do anything. You're uncomfortable. Somebody say consider the cost. There we go. When Jesus, verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. The order to cross over to, to the other side will take us all the way uh, to verse 27 when we come back to this. But I, also, I always like to pause and remind us that we're, when we're reading the Gospels and we're looking at the life of Jesus, that he, look at what he does. He sees the crowd around him, and what does he not do? I, again, I don't think this is the, the intention of Matthew, but it's, an, it's a significance that we can see, and so I want to respond to Jesus doesn't see the crowd and then take a selfie. Jesus doesn't see the crowd and light up and say, ooh, you know, do you love me? Am I famous? And how many likes can I get? Jesus is not driven by popularity. He is not, he is not driven by popularity. He does not accommodate his message to, uh, to attract uh, more people. He is driven by distinction. So he says, let's go over there. There's too many crowds. Let's go over there. He's not a, he is not a people pleaser, and he anticipates that his followers will not be either. We are lovers of people. We are servers of people. We will, in fact, as Paul said, we will, if we have to, make ourselves slaves to other people, but we are not people pleasers. We are Jesus followers. Okay. I, sometimes you can just feel where the rock gets heavier in the room, and i got to push a little harder. So a teacher of the law, or your Bible might say a scribe, comes to him. Take a quick, quick time out because that's kind of important. Who is Matthew's audience? Primarily Jewish Christians who are, who are uh, still heavily ensconced in uh, their, their, their former Judaism, right? And so for them to hear, hey, a teacher of the law, a scribe, came to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's fairly miraculous all by itself. Some, some writers think that, he, he, that Matthew is still writing miracles because it's a miracle that a scribe would have said that to Jesus at this point. It really is. A, a scribe was not necessarily, necessarily a Sadducee or a Pharisee. A scribe didn't have a particular religious uh, occupation. He was a professional. He was, a, he was an academic professional in the law. He was a scholar. Uh, he was not necessarily a clergyman. Uh, so when his claim was, and so this, this scholar, this professional scholar, how does he address Jesus? Teacher. Your Bible says teacher. That probably is the word rabbi. This is the highest, this is the highest term of respect he can give Jesus. He's actually calling Jesus. This guy is a teacher. He gets paid for it, and he's calling Jesus his teacher. It's a big deal. Matthew wants us to know about Jesus. Thank you, Lorley. Uh, his he has authority even over, even the teachers of the law recognize Jesus' authority. Okay, that's not the point here, but it's fun. You've got to get inside the text to appreciate it, okay? So, uh, this, so he said, then he says, I will follow you. Wait just a minute. We know what that means. That is a euphemism for I want to be, I will be your disciple. Wait a minute. So I will become your disciple. He, this, this scholar is saying to Jesus, I will learn all over again. This is like the PhD saying, you know what? I'm going to start all over. I'm going to go back to undergraduate as a freshman. 
Woo! That's a big claim. And then he says, and here's the, the whatever the, th- the word is, the piece of resistance. <laughs> oh, it's supposed to sound French if you say it right. Piece of the ha. Okay? But here's the thing. Uh, here's, the, here's the piece of resistance. Uh, uh, um, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Nobody was shocked by that? I was expecting a kind of a response. Wherever you go, this is the overture. This is him saying, I am all in, Jesus. I'll follow you. I am so in. I am all in. This, I got a t-shirt. I'm going to change my status. I'm going to make it Facebook legal or whatever it's called. Wherever you go. And, and, and you can get the idea that he says it loud enough to make sure that he looks around and people hear him. And then Jesus turns to him and says, are you sure? This is that phrase that, again, it sounds so familiar in popular culture, it's become euphemistic and it's, it becomes blurred. Foxes have dens, birds, uh, uh, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, what, it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, that we don't, please don't read that surface level, knee jerk, uh, bumper sticker theology type. What Jesus had just told him was, are you sure? Because the least significant creatures on the earth have places that they belong and that belong to them. But I am the son of man. Now, when he said, I am the son of man, probably his immediate audience went, whoa, whoa. And more than likely, those reading the text said, whoa, because they have a little bit of time to reflect. Okay, because in the, in the immediate horizon, people were just kind of in shock and awe. So it's important that we embrace the shock and awe. But within a few years, they're able to reflect on the meaning of what Jesus said. When Jesus says, I am, this, I, I am the son of man, he is referring and calling his audience. Now remember, they would have memorized the Old Testament. They would have had that in especially whom? The scribe, the scholar, the guy who had this thing memorized, the guy who taught who all these people were and the meanings and everything. So he turns, this is Jesus. Jesus is savage, okay? He, he turns to this guy who, has, who is the master of the Old Testament of the law and the prophets, who probably has just finished perhaps teaching a, a study on the book of Daniel, and says, I'm the son of man. What does he mean by that? Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel has this vision, and here's what he sees. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a, really, that you, I gave you the answer, one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Do you, now, it's, now, you got to read this and think, Jesus said, you know, foxes have little holes in the ground and birds have nests, but I'm the son of man. And here's what he says, the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion 
is an everlasting dominion. By the way, uh, we understand that, that dominion is the same word as... Yes, sort of, but authority is... Um, uh, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. It means... Uh, hang on, just a minute, just a minute. I don't remember authority. But uh, Basalia, but Basalia is the Greek for kingdom. Okay, so kingdom, but Basalia also means dominion. So we're reading this, and so when we say dominion, that, that would resonate with the same word that Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. His dominion or his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom or dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. Daniel says, I saw the Son of Man, and that's him. He is, he is bestowed by heaven with everlasting, supreme, eternal dominion and authority over all the earth. Jesus turns to the scribe and says, I'll follow you wherever I go. He says, look, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I'm the Son of Man. And in contrast to the smallest and even least significant of creatures, I don't have a place that I say that I belong, and nor is there a place that, that, uh, that belongs to me. What he's saying here is that from this point on in particular, Jesus will begin to travel. He'll move from place to place, and he is, uh, he, is, he is going to rely on the hospitality of others, that his ministry carries with it no guarantees, no place that he belongs to or belongs to him. He will, in fact, often be rejected by people. And we'll see that very soon. That he'll come and exercise authority, but that people that should receive him gladly will actually reject him. So foxes have places they call their own. Birds have places that they call their own. But Jesus, he's telling this scribe, has not come to nest anywhere. Now, it's important that we read this carefully. Understand this, my friends. This, this usually is, and it's many of your study Bibles, this passage is usually used as some sort of a proof text as to a call to poverty. That Jesus was committed to poverty and we should be too. As if, as if the proper response to that, well, boxes have holes and no burgers, I don't have place. Well, then clearly what we need to do is sell our, our house and our cars and go move on the sidewalk and live there and say, I'm following Jesus. That'll be good. That'll help you and everybody else. Um, that is absolutely not what Jesus is saying. But again, there's a lot of bumper sticker theology that just says that and, and then moves on without understanding. First of all, they're way off. And, and, and secondly, that they're doing themselves and the intentions of Jesus great damage. What is Jesus saying? Well, again, what we need to hear Jesus saying in Matthew is he is about to continue his mission of confronting suffering and evil and calling people to repentance and to righteousness. And there will be times that the people of this world will reject and even attack him. The Gospel of John said that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And if that is the case for him, then it will also or could also be the case for those who follow him. So Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, count the cost. Because following me runs contrary 
to the ways of this world. And you're likely to run into trouble if you follow me to live for me and live like me and talk like me. If you're going to confront evil and suffering, if you're also not only going to have repented and live for righteousness, but call people to repent and live for righteousness, you might find yourself fresh out of a nest. You might find yourself without even a hole in the ground. Not because you were silly and sold your house and lived on the sidewalk, but because this world may very well reject you. We must understand that following Jesus may cost us the comforts and the good graces of this world and even our place in it because we've chosen to live for Jesus. This is, a, this is not a call to poverty. This is a challenge to follow Jesus. Following him may mean foregoing some of the amenities along the way. This is a journey of faith, not of guarantees. Following Jesus may very well mean that you will forfeit or lose what belongs to you or to what or to whom or to what you belong. Because you belong now solely to Jesus. So Jesus says to this one who emphatically promises to follow him wherever you go, Jesus says, are you sure? Are you sure? Have you counted the cost? Have you considered what it means to say you're going to follow me? It may be convenient to identify as a Christian. It may be easy to say, oh, yeah, I, I church, I go, I do this. I follow, I follow Jesus until it gets a little uncomfortable and then nah. So he says, consider the cost. Weigh this, con consider this carefully. This is real. Why don't you, someone say that out loud. This is real. This is, well, and then Jesus doesn't stop there. <laughs> the Matthew tells us that there's a, another, another disciple, verse 21. Another disciple says to him, Lord, <laughs> first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus, to the first claimant, warns them to consider the cost. To this disciple, he demands immediate, total response. Another disciple who is this one? What does he do? What's his job? Well, we don't know. I like that when, when we're given these because when we read things like another disciple, it's easy for us to say, well, it, it could as easily just be you or me. Another disciple. Another disciple comes to Jesus and says this. First, I'll <laughs> try to feel this. I'll follow you, but... Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but the butt was a big butt. Yes, yes, yes. Wait a minute. I'll follow you, but let me, something, I'll follow you, but there's still some other things that sort of need to come first. I'll follow you, but uh, with some provisions and some small print. I'll follow you, Jesus, but I don't, but not like one of those fanatics. Let's keep it cash. I'll follow you, Jesus, but not like, you know, crazy over there who's all Jesus-y. 
You know, I'll, I'll have the mug, but not the T-shirt. Don't expect me to go to church all the time. I'll see you at Easter. Another disciple. This person has already made some kind of decision, some kind of thing where they, they identify or want to identify uh, as a follower of Jesus. But he says, ah, I'll follow you, but there's still some things that, that come first. Now, we got to say this, friends, before you get all upset with Jesus. Did, do you think, do you think, and I'll tell you the answer, do you think this guy actually meant that his dad's funeral was that day? Well, if it were, what was he doing hanging out on the beach with Jesus? He's literally at the beach. <laughs> they get into the boat, cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a big sea. It's a, bi- it's a beach. And he's like, beach, listening to Jesus teaching, enjoying it. Look at the miracles. And then he's like, hey, Jesus, count me in. But, 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 but first, I got some other things to take care of. I'll follow you, but... Would it be all right if I followed you on my own terms? It's likely, historians tell us, it's likely that he was actually using a euphemism. It meant that, you know, he's, he's, he's very much interested in following and you know, kind of joining up with Jesus and the crew, but he had other things kind of coming up on his calendar. <laughs> Meaning, eventually, eventually, this is the key, this is a euphemism that meant, you know, eventually I've got some family business to take care of. So let me bury my father first, literally, because he was probably meant that he was the oldest son and that eventually he was going to need to take care of his father's passing and eventually take care of, you know, then I'm my dad and then I got to take care of the house and then, you know, and then there's all the estate stuff and, and then, there's the, and then they, they actually buried the body for about a year and then they exhumed it and took the bones out and put the bones in an ossuary. I mean, they did all kinds of things. I'm interested, but I'm no, I don't want to get, I don't want, I'm not that interested. I'm, I'm just mostly interested. And Jesus' response is, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. In other words, follow me now. And give no further consideration. Now, Jesus doesn't advocate anything. He's not advocating that this guy leaves, leave his family in a lurch, that nobody, nobody really, remember James and, James and John, they left the Zebedee, uh, their, dad's, their dad's fishing business, and, and he was okay. They, didn't, they could have said the same thing. You know, we work for our dad, and someday we're going to need to take care of the boat. So, Jesus, why don't you give us a couple of decades? We'll sort this out. But, see, Matthew tells us that they left their nets immediately and followed him. So many people, when they read Jesus' this statement, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, you, you read it in your study Bibles and commentaries, so many people are so uh, quick to try and explain that Jesus, did, he didn't mean that. It, it sounds pretty harsh, but rest assured, Jesus didn't mean that. Friends, any attempt to reduce the shock of Jesus' words is like deliberately dulling the edge of a surgeon's scalpel. You are not helping as much as you think. Yes, it was the eldest son's 
highest duty to see to the honorable burial of his parents. And, and according to the Old Testament, again, what's the theme of this? What, are, what word are we looking for? So the, according to the Old Testament, the, there was only one loyalty that could possibly be higher than one's loyalty to their parents, and that was to Yahweh. Meaning Jesus, what did this mean? It, it, it could have meant that Jesus was differentiating between life and death. There are other passages that even say, let the spiritually dead uh, bury their own dead. That Jesus is differentiating between life and death. That following him is the way of life and everything else is not. That is very possible and it doesn't do damage to the text for us to read it that way. But regardless of how many levels are present in the text, the first meaning is always the best. And it is a bold, shocking, absolute claim that Jesus says, follow me now. Nothing else and no one else comes first. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus doesn't come to us and take a number. <laughs> he is first, he is now, or not at all. That's what his claim is. Again, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, in the, in the books of Numbers, and the, the book of Levitic, Leviticus, there were, uh, when the, if the Nazarites, if there was in the book of Numbers, they're described as the Nazarite vow. These were people that took special holy vows to the Lord for a season. And these vows to the Lord superseded everything. Uh, it was so, they, th this is where Samson was a Nazarite, couldn't cut his hair. They, they, didn't, they couldn't cut their hair and they, they didn't drink wine. So there was that part. But also they had to stay totally away from any dead bodies, which means it didn't matter who in their family had passed away, they couldn't handle the matter because they were under this vow. They were dedicated unto the Lord. Do you feel that? Now, everything in the Old Testament has, a, has, a, has, a, has an echo or a shadow or a, a, a hint uh, of Christology to, to point us to something. So the Nazarite, I mean, come on, sitting right there in front of us, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, the Nazarite vow was, was, to, was, was, was entire dedication, and it meant nothing else compared. When a, person, uh, when, when a person served in their season of being the high priest, when the oil was placed on them in the book of Leviticus, and it was their turn to serve in the high priestly duties, that the, their functions as high priest uh, superseded any other loyalties. They couldn't go and attend a funeral of anybody that had passed away because there was a, a special dedication. Friends, uh, uh, we, if, a Naz, if, if, this, if these kinds of dedications were true of a Nazarite or a priest in the Old Testament, they can be no less true for a commitment to the Lord Jesus himself. That's the, the thrust, the feel of this. I guess it's, I, I keep feeling in the room needs to hear me say this, and I think you get it. But you know, elsewhere, Jesus will say, unless you, a man hates his father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus advocating our hatred of anyone? No, he is using rabbinical rhetorical methodology to tell us the, to show us just how devoted to him we must be. And he's using the same message here, the same idea, that commitment to him is absolute and it is total and it is immediate. Any divided loyalty. When it comes to following Jesus, any sort of divided loyalty is idolatry. Any attachment 
to anything created over the Creator will eventually poison and destroy us. Jesus isn't calling us to follow Him for His good, but for ours. It's the only way. Friends, if you were being rescued from drowning or being saved out of a fire, you would not hesitate. You would not to seek with you anything that might pull you back under. But you would embrace the one saving you totally and immediately. We must understand just how drastic is our need for salvation and just how total and how immediate is the urgency to follow Jesus. Now, when we look at these two responses and we put them together, it might sort of leave us with a bit of a quandary. On one hand, are you sure? Count the cost. On the other hand, we hear now, no questions, everything, totally. What kind of an offer is that? I mean, really, what kind of an offer is that? I can't, you, what do you mean, uh, count the cost but do it now? What kind of an offer is that? Uh, it's not an offer, it's a command. The only way that we can respond to Jesus' ultimate authority is absolute and total surrender now. Understanding that there is no, I don't get to bring anything with me. I mean, it literally is, hands up. Surrender to Jesus. We aren't partners. <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate, I get it with a wince that people, you know, like to sing about Jesus being their best friend. I just, I don't, I know that he loves me. I know that he died for me, but he is my Lord. He the boss who loves me big. He loves me big, and I trust him, and, he, and he's amazing, and I adore him, and I'll worship him forever. But, but you know, I got a palo, you know, and, and he makes fun of the size of my head and stuff. <laughs> but to be a disciple of Jesus, yes, he's a lover of my soul. Yes, I adore him. Yes, I love him. I only love him because he first loved me. This is how God, this is how God showed his love for us, that he died for us while we were yet sinners. You know, that God loved us, not that we loved him, that this is how we, this is how we know what love is. We love him only because he first loved us, of course. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to surrender all claims to this life or any claim that this life has on you now. No other loyalties, no other entitlements, no negotiations, no delays. Jesus is Lord of all, according to his own words, he's Lord of all or not at all. Now this is a real and necessary reminder to every generation and no less to the generation that we're in right now. That being a disciple still means what it meant. <laughs> Are you sure? Because this is America. Um, well, we have, you know, I mean, I, I want to follow Jesus, but, but, and therein lies the problem. Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus still means what it meant. It still means obedience to Jesus. 
it still means his, that we obey and submit to, we follow his authority. It still means that we do so in community with other people. Remember, nobody followed Jesus alone. Nobody was out wandering around in the wilderness and they said, well, what are you doing? I'm following Jesus. Well, I hear he's over there with a group of people. You might want to go that way. Following Jesus has always meant that we do so together. And that we do so together consistently. Together, that we gather, we gather as a community of believers. There is a special grace and calling and blessing and expectation that those who follow Jesus will gather regularly together. That we gather to experience His presence and worship and fellowship to encourage and edify and build up one another. That we grow together, that we learn, that we learn how to follow Jesus. We, we learn new ideas and better behaviors and different habits and that we grow in righteousness together that we go together, that we, that, we, that we bond together in service and in mission to Christ and the world around us, and that we do so faithfully, and that we do so differently. To follow Jesus means to be different. No jokes. I know you're all say, well, Dave, you've got that one covered. I know, but that's not what I mean. I mean that we live differently and distinctly from the world around us. Jesus, and, the, and if we do, if we will obey him and do so together in a way that is different than the world around us, that is the way that we are the light of this world and the salt of the earth. That's how it works. Jesus said, you Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Only disciples are witnesses. Only those who are following him fervently and foremostly can make an impact for Jesus on this world. And that is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray.